0: Psalm of Asaph, O oh God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago. The tribe you redeemed is your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. There, your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries. There, they set up their battle standards. They swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest. With axes and picks, they smashed the carved paneling. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. Then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshiped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone, and no one can tell us when it will end. How long, O God, will you allow your enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand? Unleash your powerful fist and destroy them. You, O God, are my king from ages past, bringing salvation to the earth. You split the sea by your strength and smashed the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan and let the desert animals eat him. You caused the springs and streams to gush forth and you dried up rivers that never run dry. Both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries around the earth and you made both summer and winter. See how these enemies insult you, Lord. A foolish nation has dishonored your name. Don't let these wild beasts destroy your turtle doves. Don't forget your suffering people forever. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said or their growing, growing uproar. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. I love the choir. Uh, this is a good season. And I thank you for the prayer for Joseph and Beijing for sharing. And, and this is our time to reflect. We're in this Advent season. So we're in a psalm series. So in August or September, Waypoint, here at Waypoint, we've been going through the book of Psalms. And then we hit Advent, and normally we start a new series. But because the psalms are Advent, there are many Advent psalms, psalms that the church has historically read during the Advent season, we uh, decided to continue on with the psalm series. So today you're actually getting a two-for-one. You didn't even know. This is like a buy one, get one free uh, what do they call it, Bo- BOGO or something now? Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hip with the new words, but sorry. So we're buy one, get one free. Uh, you're going to get an Advent sermon, and that'll be in typical Danny style. Lots of topical. When I get a topical sermon, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. Uh, but we're also going to look at this, this powerful psalm. There's no handout. This might be the first time in a while I've preached without giving a handout. So I'm, I'm a teacher at heart. I love to teach. So what is Advent? Growing up, I did not celebrate Advent like Pastor Josh mentioned. There were probably half the churches in America did, half didn't. There's various reasons why they didn't. Um, I definitely didn't celebrate Advent before Christmas, but here's what I knew about Advent coming from like a Northern European tradition. I knew about these, these calendars. Uh, these, these wood, This one is a wooden Advent calendar. That, so to me, the word Advent meant that growing up, that thing. I didn't know that it meant like the return of Jesus or anything, I just thought it meant that. And then it got into the next one, these, the chocolate calendars, which are really cool. I was jealous of my Lutheran and Anglican and Presbyterian and Methodist friends, especially those whose ancestors came from Northern Europe because they got chocolate. And then, it, then, but see this one's Santa Claus, but there's a few that have the nativity scene. But like Josh mentioned, our culture is getting further and further away from it. I saw this one online. You can get the a- Avengers advent calendar, you know, to really prepare your heart for Christmas and the return of Jesus. Nothing wrong with Avengers. Uh, my kids like Marvel movies. Then there's the Lego Advent Calendar, which actually we use in our house, not in a spiritual way. We, we, we build a Christmas village, and we, uh, we have our s- s- spiritual devotion, And the, but I let our Derek still to this day, our, our, you know, our kids still love to open up the calendar, and Isaac and Maggie, and just it's just part of a, a fun thing that we can add to the Christmas village that we created. There's the Lego Star Wars Advent Calendar, which I can't redeem at all. There's no spiritual or anything. It's just one year, actually, my son wanted, one of my kids wanted this. So I just got it for them as a Christmas present. Didn't call in an Advent calendar, just opened up all the little packages just because they, they really wanted some of the little uh, Lego figures. Um, so what is Advent and how did it end up being about 24 chocolates and Legos before Christmas? Advent is a 24... 24- day period that historically the church set aside before christmas for people to reflect and remember that jesus is coming back as i mentioned earlier growing up i didn't celebrate advent before christmas we did celebrate the second coming often i grew up in one of those churches it was around i was a kid in the 80s and people thought that jesus was going to come back in 1988 i mean we were convinced because that was the 40th anniversary of the founding of the nation of israel and we had books and charts and we knew Um, And I'm not mocking those pastors or whatever. And then there was the year 2000 and then there were left behind books and a lot of things. And I'm not mocking the theology of those. I'm just saying, we didn't talk about Advent before Christmas because we talked about it all the time. And we need to remember that Jesus is returning, but we also need to put it in a proper historical biblical perspective. So even though I didn't grow up Thinking about it right before Christmas. I grew up thinking about it often in church, but I think what the church has done, and even churches that aren't traditionally liturgical like us, we thought this might be a good season for us to stop and reflect that Jesus is coming again, and that's a really important doctrine that we need to, to think about all year round, but especially among the commercialism of Christmas. So we at Waypoint thought it would be a good thing. Now we still sang some Christmas songs. Notice every song, the two songs we sang earlier are Christmas songs. We didn't just sing only songs about the coming of Jesus, but, but we're, we're just trying to incorporate this into the life of our church and, and help all of our members really grow in their relationship with God and grow in their theological understanding of what it means to follow God. So when I was in college, I did meet other Christians from other traditions and spent times with Methodists and Anglicans and Presbyterians and began to learn about the, Christmas, the Christian year. And I thought it was weird that the candles were purple, not red, And there was a pink one and a white one, and um, and that some churches wouldn't even sing Christmas songs until December twenty fourth. You know that that was now. I don't think people do that because the culture. They just want to. People come the month of December expecting to hear Christmas songs, Um, and it's okay. There's nothing in the Bible, right or wrong, about any of this stuff. So does anybody know where Christmas is found in the scriptures? Where we learn to celebrate the Christmas trivia question or Advent. It's not. I am just tricking you. The, we, the church added these. So yes, we, we look at the story of Jesus, but there's no like passage in 3 Corinthians where it tells us... Uh, Bible joke, 3 Corinthians. There's no 3 Corinthians. Don't, don't go looking it up. Okay. <laughs> There's no passage where it says, this is what you have to do, but we can look at our brothers and sisters of the past and look at the church around the world and say, these are some ways that we, to help us grow in our relationship with God and and to help us as a community to understand these beautiful things of God. So what is Advent historically? It's the beginning of the Christian year. Adventus is the Latin word that means the coming. Parousia is the Greek word. Uh, in the New Testament that talks about the second coming of Christ. So Advent is the Latin word based on this this Greek word. It starts the fourth Sunday before Christmas and ends on Christmas Eve. It's been practiced in the church for over 1,500 years as a season of reflection before Christmas. I would sum up the core teaching of Advent in one sentence. God promised he would come to bring salvation at just the right time he came, and he's coming again to make all things right and to make all things new. This is what I teach children. If you forget everything else I say this morning, I want you to remember that statement. God promised he would come. At just the right time, he came. And he's coming coming back to make all things right, to make all things new. I already mentioned the calendar. um, And you might be familiar now with the Advent uh, candle. Joseph and Badin explained the first candle. Uh, The first candle is the hope candle. And that's today's message is about hope. The second candle is the love candle, and Pastor Lawrence will preach next week on Jesus as King and, and, and how we anticipate that. And then the pink candle is the joy candle, and we're going to look at joy to the world. Uh, and, and then the final candle is the peace candle. So we'll go through all these, and then on Christmas Eve, you light the Christ candle. So that's a little introduction to Advent. Now what about the American Advent? What are the four weeks before Christmas like? Legos, right? And... Uh, how about this? I, this is some famous YouTuber I found. She's telling you how to shop, how to get the most out of Target at Christmas time. Uh, so, so that's really what Advent is—the the four weeks before Christmas. This picture exemplifies our culture a little more than reflecting on Jesus uh, and reflecting on the fact that He came and He's coming again. But we'll talk about that later. So, what about Christmas? Christmas Jesus, our Emmanuel. At just the right time, God came as He promised. So Christmas is a season uh, to stop and reflect that God became a human. God came to us. God is with us. Salvation is here in a person. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came. It's hark the herald angels sing. It's proclaiming glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Please, as men, please as men with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That's Christmas. We're not going to sing that. Actually, we're going to sing another. That was written by Charles Wesley to sing to be sung on Christmas Eve. Wesley also wrote an Advent hymn called "Come Thou Long Expected Jesus," and we're going to actually sing that this morning. So that's Christmas the season that we as the church celebrate that God came to us. And actually, you know, the song on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me, partridge in a pear tree. It's kind of it's a fun song. There's actually some meaning to that by a, a, a church that was being persecuted. You can look it up online. Not now. No Googling right now, but in, in the future. Uh, so t- historically, on Christmas Eve, you start celebrating Christmas, and through January 6th, you'd celebrate the 12 days of Christmas. Because we live in America right now, and, and this isn't in the Bible, so we're just we're going we're to celebrate it as waypoint. And we're going to use these candles and have a great Christmas Eve service, but historically, that's where it fits. So it was like Advent, then the 12 days of Christmas. Um, so let me show you another Christmas slide. So again, this is American Advent. This is a Black Friday picture I got offline. And then I found this picture. This is a sad but true slide. This is from Graphic Stock, which is like a company that you can buy, uh, you can pay for images. That's why it has a little watermark through it. If anybody works for Graphic Stock, please, I'm, I'm just using this as an example. I'm not stealing the copyrighted material. Uh, but this is the saddest picture I found on the internet. Why is what's so sad about this? What's mixed in to all the other Christmas junk? The Bible. This is this. This is the reality of the world that we live in right now in America, that Christmas is just this little small part of of all this other noise. So that's why I think many people who didn't grow up celebrating Advent, many churches that didn't do it are bringing it back, because what an amazing opportunity the 24 days before Christmas to not reflect on all that other stuff. That other stuff isn't bad, but to keep Jesus as the central focus. I'll take that down, because kind of a disturbing slide. But I don't think the answer is forcing the culture to put Christ back in Christmas. I think the answer is in continued, a continued faithful witness by the people of God, the people who truly believe that Jesus is the Christ. I work with international students, and sometimes they think Christ is his last name. Um, when I give my Christmas lecture each year and share about the cultural aspects of Christmas and the religious aspects, most of them just automatically assume that Christ is his last name. I was like, no, Christ is his title. Some people who work with internationals always use the term Jesus, the Christ, to help people, uh, really get it. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the person. He is the Christ. He is the one that people were waiting for. And he's the one that we're still waiting for that day when he comes back again, um, so, I, I think for us as Christians, we can be a witness to Christ and his kingdom and the hope that we have. That's what we have to offer at Christmas. We don't have to force the culture to put Christ back in Christmas. We can be Christ followers, and the culture is going to want to know who Jesus is. Pastor Lawrence always says that the church is a preview, a coming attraction of the full reality of the coming of the kingdom of Jesus. So, let's make that our thrust as a congregation, as God's people. So the current reality about Christmas, it's America's most popular holiday by far. It's a cultural and commercial holiday. You guys know in, a, in the US, we, we're technically a secular nation, so we don't, we don't celebrate any religious holidays. And someone took this to the Supreme Court and it, the Supreme Court declared it as an economic holiday. That's how it's uh, still a federal holiday. Um, so it's a cultural holiday, it's a commercial holiday, uh, and this version of, of Christmas is spreading go- globally. I lived overseas for many years and they celebrate the cultural and economic Christmas. At the same time, Christmas is a very important Christian holiday. So what are we to do as Christians? Go with the flow, embrace it all, reject all the elements of the American Christmas culture, just focus on the other elements, stop celebrating Christmas. All of these have been suggested and even practiced by different Christians. The issue is complex. Honestly, I don't think we should embrace it all. But I think we need to celebrate the birth of our Savior. So let's redeem it. Let's be a people who continually proclaim Christ during this season and all year. The church is part of reconciling things back to Christ. Colossians 1 proclaims this, that Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself, including the understanding of who he is and understanding why he came, and that's Christmas. He reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The church is to be a part of reconciling things back to Christ. When you honor Christ during this season, when you... Spend time in his word, praying, honoring him. You're part of that process. So celebrating holidays as Christians is is part of this. In the Old Testament, which is the passage we read this morning in Psalms, it actually is from the Old Testament, um, there were festivals. God gave his people a series of festivals. The Passover began their liturgical year. So the church created a liturgical year based on their liturgical year. Um, the Passover was the beginning it it began the year it signified the redemption of Israel then there was the feast of unleavened unleavened bread signified the sanctification of Israel then there was the feast of first fruits signified the resurrection of Israel as a free people then there was the feast of weeks or the feast of Pentecost which means 50th in Greek it was the 50th day um, and this was also known as the Feast of the Harvest, and this signified the origination of Israel as the covenant people of Yahweh. There was the Feast of Trumpets, beginning the civil year, signified the calling of Israel to judgment. There was the Day of Atonement, signified the atonement of the covenant people. There was the Day of the Tabernacles or the booths or shelters, signified God's presence with His covenant people. God looked, and they looked forward. To the coming messiah so god sits up sets up these systems of festivals for his people and we are his people and we were made for fellowship we were made to stop and rest and enjoy god's goodness we also were made to stop and confess and admit our brokenness and sinfulness and need for salvation we were made to celebrate we were made to confess we we're made to forgive we were made to remember so let's party like it's 1444 bc um when i was a youth pastor at a church that was kind of a dead church i don't know the pastor it was easter and he wanted the church to remember that this was the biggest party of the year so he actually started the service this is a more liturgical service with the choir with cool and the gang celebrate and made the youth group come out in a congo line the old i mean not everybody flipped out but he did it to prove a point point. then he had one of those blow up those floaty guys, you know, that car dealerships use, behind the choir, and it came up. I, I kid you not. He did this because he wanted to show the congregation that this is a celebration, that uh, we needed to celebrate that Christ is risen from the dead. And I, I think sometimes as Christians, we, we need to remember that God gives us these seasons of, of mourning and then seasons of celebration to embrace his goodness and to, and to celebrate what he has done, to look back and to look ahead and to live as the church now. Christmas and Easter should be parties because they represent the best thing in the universe to celebrate. Jesus came and he rose again and he conquered death and salvation is near. I'm here to proclaim this morning that Jesus came and he rose again and it's good news and he's coming again to make all things new and right. So what do we do as Christians in Durham and the Triangle right now? I say, let's celebrate Advent and Christmas. Remember, God promised he would come at just the right time he came, and he's coming again to make all things right and new. Part of celebrating Advent is reflecting on the Bible passages about Advent. We have a waypoint reading guide. They're very short passages. It's walking you through, preparing your heart, helping you see the promises that Jesus was going to come and that he came, and then it ends the last reading on Christmas Day. You actually read the, the promise in Revelation when God does make all things new. So we challenge all of you as a congregation to do the reading plan. Um, very short passages. If, if you miss a day, you can catch up. Uh, it'll be on the city. It'll be on the Facebook page. There's some hard copies out in the lobby if, if you need that, and we'll try to email it once a week so you remember uh, the reading. So let's try to do this together as a congregation. So I'm guessing at this point, some of you are asking, what does Psalm 74 have to do with Advent? Um, and I'll tell you, because remember, this is two for the price of one today's sermon. So this historically, Psalm 74 has been read during Advent because it offers us insight and answers four questions that would help us reflect upon Advent, reflect upon the coming of Christ. The first question I think it answers is why? Why? But before I go to that, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to read this very short introduction to, the, uh, to Psalm 74 from Old Testament professor Mark Furtado. He said, There are times in life when present circumstances offer us no evidence that God is present in, let in control of, our situation. Psalm 74 was written just for, for just such a time. Psalm 74 leads us to live eschatologically, meaning thinking about what God has done and the future that he has for us. That's a big theological word, but to live believing that God reigns amid all circumstances that seem to deny that reign. So Psalm 73 right before it is more of a, a, a crying out individually, and then Psalm 74 is the corporate crying out, the congregation crying out. So I, I put up four things. Why, how long, who is in control, and what is our foundation? I want us to think about those. So the first question, why? It says, oh God, why have you rejected us for so long? So this is after the destruction of Jerusalem. The city was razed, uh, was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, a foreign army came in around 586 B.C. And they're asking why. I mean, the general answer why is, Because they broke God's covenant, and they're suffering the consequences of of continually breaking God's covenant. The people, for hundreds of years, had disobeyed God and turned from God. There was a few good kings along the way, and sometimes the people turned back. So God allows this to happen. So they ask why, and as we're thinking about Psalms in the Psalm series, when when we ask God why, and and you can go back if you you were missed some of them, we all are. All our sermons are archived online, and, but we, we've asked why. We talked about songs of lament and psalms of confession and psalms of, you know, just asking God why. And we, we've asked this question, and, and I, as I prayed through it and think through it and teach it to others, I realized that normally when we ask why, it's either because of our own sin, because of the sin of others, or just because of the circumstances of a sinful and broken world. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. And the Psalms show us that it's okay to ask why. But the Psalms also show us that we may never get the full answer. But I believe this Psalm, after the why, it moves us to some other key questions. The next one is, how long? I think they knew why. Sometimes we don't know why. But I think they knew why. They knew that it was because they broke the covenant. That, they, that God had made. They were sinful people, and he allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed. Then they ask, how long? And we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah that was actually written about 100 and, over 100 years before this. And they're, they're like, okay, God, we're going to trust in you, but how long? And I believe Advent, that's the question that we as Christians ask sometimes. How long? God, how long will you allow this to happen? How long will you allow this evil to exist? How long will you allow your church to suffer, your people to suffer, or for sin to go on and evil to go on? Then I I think the last two questions help us answer the first two. Why and how long? It's who's in control. If you look at verse 12, it says, You, O God, are my king from ages past. Remember, Israel asked for a king. God said, you don't want a king. They got a king. And that was the beginning of the end for their, their, their group. And at the end, after they lose their king and they lose everything and they lose their land, all the stuff that God had given them, they acknowledge, we have to acknowledge that he is our king. And that's the theme of next week's sermon. So I won't go into it much, much more than that. He is their king. And then the final question, so who's in control? The king. Jesus, our king, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's in control. The final question is, what is our foundation? If you look in verse 20, it says, Remember your covenant promises. Our foundation is nothing that we did. It's the covenant promises of God. God made a covenant with Abraham that said, I will save my people. I will call them and I will save them. And God honors both ends of the covenant. So even if the people fail, God will honor the covenant. And we know that that was honored and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God fulfills his covenant through Jesus Christ. So Psalm 74 asks this question. It says, you know, God, are you coming? What should we do? How long? And he tells them to look back to the past. He points to the Exodus. If you look at uh, verse 13, you split the, the sea by your strength. He's talking about when God separates the Red Sea and smashed the head of sea monsters. He's actually talking about, this is a reference to the Egyptian army. So he's, they're looking back, but they're looking ahead knowing that God will fulfill his promise. That's why this is an Advent psalm, because these people were anticipating this anointed one, this Messiah, this true prophet, priest, and king who would come and make all things right. Now let's look at a New Testament passage about how long. James 5 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the, the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. This is the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Who are the prophets that James is referring to? Like I mentioned earlier, over a hundred years before the destruction of Jerusalem that Psalm 74 laments, the prophet Isaiah proclaims in Isaiah 35. This is a hundred years before the destruction. He's talking about this coming day. Even the wilderness and the desert desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. He's talking about a desert turning into a garden. Yes, there will be abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. And then I'm going to jump ahead. He talks about this, all this renewal. Uh, people will leap like deers, those who couldn't walk. Uh, and then verse 8, it says, And a great ro- road will go through the once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never, tr- never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God ways. in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course nor any other ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Wow. So you see why they can write Psalm 74 and cry out, because Isaiah said this. They knew that God would restore them. But actually, if, if we know, when we know our Bible prophecy and, and look at this passage, this hasn't been fully come true. Is, the, is this our reality? This is, came true in Christ, but we're in this period where we're waiting for this to fully be true, where we can fully say this the new heaven and the new earth, Isaiah has this vision of. This is what he's telling us about. So idea, Isaiah tells us of a day when the wasteland will turn into a beautiful garden. What did we lose when Adam and Eve sinned? We lost a beautiful garden. Our sinfulness, our brokenness broke us out of that. What's the goal of every person in in, in the world? I mean, when I work with people from all over the world. Everybody just wants to have a nice house, a nice family, a nice yard, be safe, and, and be happy. That's basically what we had in the garden, and we blew it. And God's bringing us back to this garden. That's, that's the vision that Isaiah had. That's the vision they had in Psalm 74 when they see Jerusalem unraveled and they're crying out, how long? And they're looking forward to the, They're saying, because of your covenant promise. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what you've done. Now let's, look, let's go back to James. Remember, James tells us to be patient and take courage because the day of the Lord is near. He's looking back to this Isaiah, day of the Lord, the day when God will make all things new. That's what Advent is. We're looking forward to that day. Advent reminds us, one, we need to be saved. Two, the world needs to be saved. Jesus came to save. He came to bring salvation. Romans 8 talks about groaning. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Who longs for this? I do. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies he has promised us. So Advent asks, so I I said Advent reminds us we need to be saved and the world needs to be saved. What does Advent ask of us? What do we ask? What do I ask you? What does God, I, I believe this is the question I want us to ponder this morning. Are you groaning at the pain and suffering in the world? Are you asking how long? Do you live like the day of the Lord is near? If not, you desperately need Advent. We desperately need to be a people who remember that this world is good. There's some good stuff here, but this isn't the good part. Let's live like the day of the Lord is near. Let's trust Him. Let's be His covenant people now. Jesus came and gave us the Spirit so that now we can begin experiencing this. It will never fully experience it. There's still brokenness. There's still pain. We need Advent. Remember James 5 and the encouragement to believers to be, wait patiently for the day of the Lord I read earlier? Just before that, James sternly warns rich people. This is James 5, 1. Look here, you rich people. And I might say, I, I think I'm justified in saying this. Look here, you Americans who have a lot, a lot of resources and a lot. Weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away at your f- flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. James is sternly warning people not to put our emphasis on wealth and stuff. We need Advent. Contrast James' warning of destruction and fire to Isaiah's promise of rebuilding and restoration. James warns those who should fear the advent of what God will destroy. Isaiah gives hope to those desperately anticipating the advent of what God will renew. Advent reminds us that things are not right, but God is coming back to make all things right. But remember the pink candle in the middle. Even amongst the suffering, there's joy. That's why the church chose to add a different color that even in the midst of the brokenness, there's still joy. God is on the move. Christmas is almost here. Where's that? Which uh, famous children's fiction writer said Christmas is almost here? The, the worst thing that could happen is winter with no Christmas, right? Aslan is on the way. What's the curse of Narnia for those of you who are literary buffs or like children's books? or The curse is that it's always winter and never Christmas. Lewis is injecting a little Advent theology right there, right? God is on the move. Jesus is doing something. But it's not all right right now. But, but, but the snow is melting. On Christmas Eve, we'll light that white candle. The Christ candle. We'll sing, hark the herald angels sing. We'll sing, oh come all you faithful. We can celebrate that God came and made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel is here with us. So why Advent and Christmas? Why Lent and Easter? If you, know, if you know anything about the church calendar, there's Lent, then there's Easter. Right before you celebrate the biggest celebration of year as Christians, we take time to reflect. These aren't in the Bible, so it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. They're just things that the church has created to help us, tools to help us grow closer to God in our, in our walks with God corporately and individually. They remind us That we are there, but we're not there yet. Think about the seasons. Each season brings different activities, feelings, and memories, right? What does winter feel like? Fall, summer. Imagine life without seasons. I've given the sermon, but some of my friends from like tropical places are like, we kind of have that. We only have the rainy season or the hot season. I think in Singapore, it's like the air conditioned season and the outside season. Like a friend from Singapore told me that. Um, We need seasons of reflection, seasons of anticipation, seasons of celebration, and seasons of renewal. The suffering is still here. The creation is still groaning. All things are not right. On a large scale, we can look at North Korea, Syria, Sudan, Venezuela, even problems here in America, even problems here in the Triangle. There's groaning everywhere. On a more personal level, we see friends and family suffering and hurting. Many in our own congregation are suffering from chronic illness, crying out to God, God, help me. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. We're going to sing that in a minute. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By Thy own eternal Spirit rule, in all our hearts alone, and by Thy all by Thine all sufficient merit, raise us to Thy glorious throne. You see how Wesley. This is an Advent hymn talking about the groanings of Israel, but it's about us too. We see divorce, we see death, we see financial struggles, we see broken relationships and all kinds of hardships every day. We watch the news and hear of war and rape and greed and idolatry and what seems to be non-stop evil and victory by the enemies of God. The same things they were crying out to in Psalm 74. Things are not right. That is why we need Advent. As a time to stop and reflect and remember the promises we have in Jesus. And that all the hope we have in Jesus, all the hope we have is in jesus alone but we also need to celebrate what god is doing we need holidays we need christmas but we need advent too things are not fully right but the good news is jesus came christmas he died good friday he rose again easter he is seated at the right hand of the father ascension and he will and he gave us the holy spirit pentecost so that we can join him now in making all things right until he comes back, Advent. You see where the church created this system to help us remember? Christmas is the celebration that while we were helpless to save ourselves, God came at just the right time to save us. Advent reminds us that God's saving work is happening, and we anticipate the day when it will be complete and all things will be made right. Remember who is in control. Remember what your foundation is. Our king is in control. Our foundation is his covenant promise fulfilled in Jesus. Use Advent as a time of self-examination and reflection. Truly celebrate Christmas and Easter with your brothers and sisters. We need these celebrations. If some of you don't have somewhere to go on Christmas, let's, let's invite each other into our home. Some of you, your family's close. Some, it's far away. Let's celebrate together. Isaiah 35, 8. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will never lurk along its course, nor any ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, not the, de- the destroyed Jerusalem that Psalm, the people in Psalm 74 see, but the new Jerusalem. They'll enter it singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. We look forward to that day. That day is our hope. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask how long because we see the brokenness of the world. We see the brokenness in our own hearts, the sin in our own hearts. And, the, and we ask, how long? But we thank you that you answered the question. You said, I am coming back. Just like Jesus, you came at just the right time at Christmas. We know that you're going to come at just the right time to make all things new. We look forward to that day, God. May we be a people who remember that you came, but you're coming again. May we be people who, who, of your covenant, people who trust in your covenant and your unfailing love toward us, God. We look forward to the day when you come. May this Advent season be one of reflection and joy and of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.